Church, this morning, I want us to invite the Holy Spirit as we reflect again on the friendship that we have with God. So I'm going to lead us to a few pre-sermon reflection questions to kind of help posture us. So the first question I want to ask us today is, how would you define a good friend? Maybe you can close your eyes as you think about this. How would you describe and define a good friend? And next, who is a good friend to you? Who is a good friend to you? Which names or personalities and beings come into your mind? Who are some good friends to you? Maybe throw up a blessing over this friend, a prayer of gratitude. And next, I want to ask, what kind of a friend is Jesus to you? What are some attributes, some traits of Jesus that we receive as a friend? In what new ways would you like to experience Jesus as a friend? In what renewed ways would you like to experience Jesus in friendship? And just be honest with it. As media continues to lead us in worship, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will expand and open up our vision, our imagination, and our capacity to receive you, oh, perfect God, as our friend. Let's continue to worship. Jesus, Jesus, oh. 
Good morning, Evergreen family. Good morning to our online community. For those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. My name again is Pastor January, like the month that just expired, unfortunately. And I'm the worship arts pastor here, and today we continue our kickoff sermon series in our annual theme, Seasons of Love, called What is the Name of Love? I want to know what name of love is. See, this is what happens when you grow up in this shelter Christian family. You don't know all the titles of the songs. But we're going to reflect today on God's love for us through friendship with Jesus. And we just went through a series of questions that hopefully aided in honing in how we define friendship, how we receive friendship from one another as well as from Jesus. And I don't know about you, but Alan, you can play the video now. This I is how I view friendship. Right? Randy, you asked for a shout out and you're getting the tongue today. All right, this is how I view friendship with companionship around the table, eating really good food, talking about dumb things, talking about deep things, some mutual growth, sharing of similar interests and hobbies, right? But I was mulling as I was prepping in the word, right, for this service, I realized that friendship for me is also the crux of it a lot of times is mutuality, right? There is a shared sense of giving and receiving from one another. There is a constant ebb and flow of caring for one another. And I dare say that the second mutuality disappears from friendship, that friendship no longer exists. Then all of a sudden, it becomes a hierarchical relationship, a transactional relationship with sometimes an imbalance of power. And as I was prepping for this sermon, I realized how easy it is, right, for us to sit here and be like, oh, Jesus, what a savior, right? It's so easy. Jesus, I want you to be this kind of friend to me. I need you to be X, Y, Z kind of friend to me. You're constant. You're good. You're faithful, right? But if we're talking about mutuality, then I'm actually forced to ask myself, well, January, what kind of, are, of a friend are you to Jesus? What kind of friendship does, does Jesus need from you? And it struck me, I barely ask myself this question. In fact, if I'm to be honest, cricket, cricket, I'm probably not a really good friend to Jesus. And I know that sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, right, to think about Jesus in this kind of needy sort of way, right? It kind of feels unholy or not very theological to consider God needing us. But I want us to, I want us to kind of remember the fact that God operates out of divine fellowship with the Holy Trinity, Right? And in fact, the, the, the early Christian Greek theologians of their day, right, termed this fellowship as something called perichoresis. All right? Perichoresis. Peri, referring to perimeter or around. Choresis, referring to choreography or a dance. And so what these theologians saw was this beautiful dancing around by God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're dancing in this beautiful, intricate, complex, interwoven, interdependent, mysterious dance, right? Where one identity cannot be pulled from another. And it's something that our human brains, actually, we have a really hard time grasping, right? But it's important to note that that Jesus 
right? His craving for a friendship is a full part of his deity and his humanity, and we were birthed from that design. In short, we were created for friendship with God. Amen? All right, we're, we're, we're getting there, we're getting there, right? So as I was excavating the text, right, I came upon five different ways I wanted to ask us this morning to, about, to, to, to consider and to think about five different ways that Jesus needs us to be his good friend. All right, and there's more, but I didn't want to go over five hours today, all right? So let's start the clock and let's go. First, right, thank you, right? So the first way that Jesus needs us is Jesus, I think, likes to be invited. Jesus likes our initiative. And we see this in the text of Mark, chapter 2, 15. And as he, Jesus, sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners who were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. This is only one of handfuls of instances where we find Jesus chilling at a friend's house, being hosted for dinner. Jesus is not shy about saying yes to a dinner party, to lively conversation with a motley crew. And in fact, a majority of the miracles and of the healings that we see in the gospel are Jesus' direct response to crowds of people initiating contact with Jesus. Right, you have blind people, you have lepers, you have bleeding women, you have people possessed by demonic spirits, you have little children, etc., etc. People clamoring for Jesus' attention, and Jesus made it his tradition. Jesus made it his practice to say yes, to oblige. Jesus loves it when we initiate contact with him. In fact, he commends the people who go out of their way to disrupt Jesus' ministry. So my question to us this morning is, are we waiting on the sidelines, waiting for Jesus to notice us? Oh my God, Jack and Marion, there you are. Let me make the first move, right? Like, oh my gosh, I've, I've been waiting for you. Or are we being proactive about inviting Jesus into our homes, about inviting Jesus into our work offices, into our difficult marriages sometimes, into our schools, right? Into our finances, into the most oppressed and marginalized parts of our societies. Are we making initiative, knowing and trusting that Jesus wants to be invited. Let's invite him this morning, people of God. I guarantee you, Jesus will make it a tradition to say yes. TFTI, thank you for the invite, and not in a petty some sort of way. Second thing that Jesus desires, and now as much as I just said Jesus loves, right, to have a dinner party with his friends, loves to be invited, Jesus also needs time for solitude. Jesus needs time for solitude, right? And this is a hallelujah for the introverts out there, right? It gives us permission. And believe it or not, I am an introvert. And before you laugh in my face, I am just really good at faking it, right? I'm a pastor's kid, right? So those of you who are pastors, because you guys understand, we're trained to be good in public. On top of that, I'm an actor. So I'm just, you know, used to being in front of a camera. I'm used to being in front of large crowds of people. Right? But I guarantee you after this sermon, and most likely after anything that I design or do, or I'm just kind of in front of people, I will go home, put on the baggiest clothes that I earn, gather my cast to me, open up a bag of salt and vinegar chips, throw on Netflix, and play Stardew Valley on my Nintendo Switch all night. Mide, vouch for me. Do I do this? Yes, I do, right? And I do this because I like spending time on my own to recharge, to be in a space where it's devoid of social expectation and just be me. 
So Jesus being surrounded by thousands of people, preaching constantly, teaching constantly, performing miracles, we could see why Jesus would need some introverted time just to recharge, to pray to God, spend some time dancing around, right, in the Holy Trinity. But I actually think that Jesus' need and time for solitude goes beyond introversion. It goes into intercession and intervention. Jesus' time alone goes from introversion to intervention and intercession. And we see this in the Gospel of Mark because Jesus usually goes to isolate himself from the disciples to go pray alone right before there is a crisis. He goes to take a nap. He comes back and he needs to calm the winds and the waves before his buddies get shipwrecked. He goes away to pray and he comes back to lepers needing purification and cleansing and healing. He goes away to pray and he comes ready to be arrested and crucified for the sake of the world. Jesus goes away anytime there is a crisis. And I don't know, as I was mulling over this sermon series and, and this sermon in its in itself, excuse me, I realized that, man, even the most seasoned veterans, even the most deep believers, we are quick to write off God. And what I mean by this is if we, we, we sense like the, 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 the littlest bit of distance from God, or God remains, remains a little bit silent to our prayers, a little bit longer than what we're comfortable with, then where do, we, where do our thoughts tend to go? We, we start to think, well, Jesus, maybe you don't care as much as we thought you did. Maybe, Jesus, you're, you know, not seeing this. Maybe, God, you're not working. Maybe, God, you're not faithful. There's no judgment here because I do the same thing. We're quick to write off God when God seems to be a little bit distant from us. But people, family, can we actually believe and give room for Jesus to go off on his own? right? To just kind of assess the fullness of what creation needs. Can we give Jesus room, right, to go and actually grieve, to grieve the broken state of humanity and to shield us from his anger? Can we give Jesus time to do what Jesus only can do, to intercede and to intervene on our behalf, to come back with victory at hand, to calm the winds and waves of every single part of our lives? Jesus, as a friend, needs time for holy solitude. Third, Jesus wants to be seen, right? And I, I, I'm, I, for better or for worse, whenever I hear that phrase, I see you, I freaking think of Avatar, right? I see you, I see you, I see you, right? I don't even like James Cameron, and I'm sad I'm even mentioning it, but it's true, I see you. And in fact, more than I like you, more than I love you, I feel like when we say to one another, I see you, I see you, I see you, we receive this validation and affirmation of the wholeness of our character. And I believe that Jesus is kind of seeking the same thing from us. It's like he wants those giant, ugly-eyed emojis being sent to him constantly, right? Those intense, creepy-looking ones. He wants to be seen by us. And we see this, right, through the illustration of this passage from Mark 14, verse 3. Okay, so Jesus is at Bethany. Lo and behold, he's being hosted by his new friend Simon, who used to be a leper that he healed. And as he's just chilling with his disciples and his friends, a woman, unbeknownst to everyone, approaches Jesus. And she's carrying this alabaster jar filled with very expensive nard, very expensive perfume. And she breaks that jar apart, anoints Jesus' head. We all know the story from Sunday school, right? And so she anoints Jesus' head, and Jesus' friends are like, what? Who do you think you are? 
are. This is my friend Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing they feel probably a little bit threatened by this woman. But they're calling her out. Why wouldn't she just sell that perfume and sell it and give that money to the poor? That's what we should be doing. And Jesus comes to her defense, and this is what he says. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you make trouble for her? She has done a good thing for me. Highlight that. She has done a good thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you could do something good for them, but you won't always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body ahead of time for burial. And I tell you the truth, that wherever in the whole world the good news is announced, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. She has done a good thing for me. Now, Jesus isn't merely commentating about the fact that he received a very valuable offering from her, right? I mean, like, honestly, Pastor Jason, you'd be, you'd be flattered if I gave you a nice-smelling, you know, cologne that was a really expensive brand name. In fact, Farah will probably thank me for it. Not today. I'm too poor, right? So this is already a nice gift, and Jesus is commentating on that. But I actually feel like what Jesus is saying, no, because what he says is that she has done what she could do. She has anointed my body ahead of time for burial. And you see, what Jesus had been doing is he's been prophesying now for some time about his impending death. He's been pro prophesying about, about the fact that the Messiah is going to meet the death of a, of, of a criminal. And even those who are closest to him, his closest companions, his disciples, they did not understand. They did not get it. But then there is this woman, this stranger, who's breaking all the social, traditional, religious codes to approach Jesus in close proximity. And what she sees is she sees the path that Jesus is about to take. She sees that Jesus is about to head towards the cross. And what she does is she invests everything she has in blessing the body that will be broken for her. She gives everything that she has to bless the sovereign plans that only Jesus can enact. So don't you see Jesus is moved? I can only imagine the kind of relief Jesus felt. Oh my God, finally someone gets, someone gets me. Someone sees what I have to go through and they find that valuable enough to give me everything that they've got. And it's no wonder that Jesus authors this woman's identity and story permanently into the book of life. Friends, do you see Jesus for who he is? Or is he just an empty, hollowed shell of an identity that you've been so used to worshiping on Sunday mornings? Is he a picture of white Jesus hanging on someone's fireplace mantle? What is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Are you treasure hunting for Jesus in your times with him? Are you praying to him, making initiative, inviting him into your spaces? Do you see Jesus when we sing, what a brother, what a savior, what a friend? Do you see Jesus? Because he wants to be seen. You guys still with us? Yeah. Online community, if you're with me, throw a hand up emoji. <laughs> the fourth point I want to make is this. Jesus wants us to stay awake and alert. And so we're going to go to the text where we find Jesus now on the final night that he gets to spend with his disciples. And there is... This is probably the most tortured, most desperate, most sorrowful picture of Jesus that we have in the Gospels. And so let me point you to the text. 
Jesus and his disciples came to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to them, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to feel despair and was anxious. He said to them, I'm very sad. It's as if I'm dying. Stay here and keep alert. Then he went a short distance farther and fell to the ground, and he prayed that if possible, he might be spared the time of suffering. And he said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them, his disciples, sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you stay alert for like one hour? Stay alert and pray so that you won't give into temptation. The spirit is eager, but the flesh is weak. And again, Jesus leads him to pray, and he comes back, he finds, he finds him asleep. And that happens three times until it's time for Jesus to be arrested, until there's no more time actually left in that intimate space. Jesus is about to enter into ultimate darkness not only through torturous physical death, but that of separation from the holy indwelling he has with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is afraid. Jesus is tortured. And I think it's easy to understand why he would want his closest companions to remain vigilant throughout the night, the last night he has remaining with them. It's easy to relate to that. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, and my mom's going to love that I'm bringing this story up on public pulpit again, but one of the first, uh, the first sermon I gave for Evergreen throughout the pandemic, I shared about my DUI experience. Now, teens, don't do it, all right? It's not okay, right? But God has reauthored that story for me, so hallelujah to that, right? But I remember, I'm not going to go through all the details. If you want, you can go back and see it, I guess. <laughs> but um, I remember that night that I was arrested, and I was all alone. And I was, they, they took me from one holding cell into the jail cell that I would stay at for the rest of the night. There was no clock on the walls. I did not know how much time was passing. I didn't know if I was allowed a phone call like you see on the TV shows. I didn't know what to do. And in fact, all I could feel or experience was this deep and utter shame and hatred for myself. The next morning, they keep you overnight to sober you up, right? The next morning, I don't know around my, what time, I think it was around noon, I was released in downtown LA. And when I walked out of there expecting, oh my gosh, I don't even know where my car is parked. Oh my gosh, how am I going to explain this to everyone? What do I do? What do I say? Who I saw were my two best friends waiting for me. Their car was miraculously stalled in front of the police station. And they just silently took me into their car and they drove me to my car somehow where they had found it. I don't know how they found my car, but they did. And they took me home, and they fed me the holy meal of Jollibee's. <laughs> and I found out later on, my best friend Isabel, she had somehow, after we had left the bar that we were at, she had called my apartment, and I wasn't picking up the phone. So she drove all the way from Culver City to Silver Lake in the middle of the night. Friends, that's love in Los Angeles. That's love, I tell you. She drove, and she found out from my roommate that I wasn't home. So then she drove to the bar that we were at. The bartender gave her my phone, but I wasn't there. 
She goes back to Culver City. She calls everyone that she knows. What do I do in this situation? She calls emergency rescue hotlines, and she pins me down. I have tasted firsthand what vigilance and friendship is like. I have received what it means for my friends to stay alert and awake on my behalf throughout the darkest point of my life. Of course Jesus desires that from his companions. Of course the man of sorrow would want that from his disciples and his faithful companions. But actually, family, what I want you to, to, to look at and to think about is that it goes beyond that. It's even more poignant than that. Because to me, Jesus already knew who was going to win the battle. In the midst of his sorrow, Jesus was like, I am going to overcome the evil. I'm going to overcome death. All the principalities of, of this earth, I'm going to overcome it. I get the final say. Jesus knew that. And yet, he still goes to the disciples. He's still pleased with them. Couldn't you stay awake with me one more hour? Can't you stay alert? One more breath. And why? Why would Jesus know that? I mean, do that, knowing that he had victory at hand. And I believe it's because he wants to express that despite the fact that I am the end game, your presence still matters to me. Your prayers are worth something to me. I am still desperate for you. I need you to stay awake with me. Our sovereign king, our savior king is saying, I don't care if victory is at hand. I need you in this moment to be with me at least one moment longer. Family, have we fallen asleep to our worth in God? Have we fallen asleep to the power of our prayers? Have we fallen asleep to the truth that God needs us, God desires us, that God wants us to soldier with him in this in-between time of the already not yet kingdom of God breaking in? God wants us to be a part of that. We matter. Can we awake to that truth this morning? And now I'm going to bring it home. Thank the Lord. The last thing I want to touch on in terms of what Jesus requires and asks of us in, in friendship, what he wants from us, is found as he's hanging on the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and we find this in the passage of John, chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And now I imagine Jesus, and it's difficult to, right? It's difficult to imagine Jesus hanging on the cross. And I imagine Jesus looking met the people at the foot of the cross, some of his closest friends, his family members. I imagine Jesus looking at the enemies, standing before him, mocking him, scoffing at him. And I imagine Jesus just intrinsically knowing, seeing the future ahead, and him even conversing with the Holy Trinity, right? Like, oh man, we know that there are tough times ahead. 
Even post-resurrection, there's going to be tough times ahead. The church will become divided in itself over and over and over again. There will be empires falling all over one another, claiming people, groups, and cultures that never belong to them. There's going to be families torn away from their homelands, kicked out of their homelands, and children left orphaned. There's going to be diseases that ravish the beloved bodies of God's creation. Even this land that God had beautifully designed would be plundered and torn apart by the very people he had asked and assigned to steward it. I think Jesus saw all of that. And his last petition to us as his friends is, will you take care of one another? Won't you take care of everything I hold near and dear? Won't you call each other family? Won't you be gentle? Won't you be kind? Won't you try to understand? Won't you try not to compete? Will you take one another in as family? In a little while, Pastor Jason is going to lead us through communion. And I just kind of imagine all of us sitting around, right, with the disciples, all the saints and angels from before. We're like sitting around the Lord's table, right? Jesus is reclining, per usual, enjoying a good dinner party. And, you know, I, I just glance around the table and there's like, again, there's no room to judge one another. Because we've all been that disciple where we have denied Christ, haven't we? We've all been that disciple where we've chosen to betray Jesus for some cash, for some fame, for some glory. We've all been the type of disciple where we've lost sight of why we come to church, why we follow Jesus, and it's become about power. Who's gonna sit on the left and right side of Jesus today? And oftentimes we are clueless about what God is doing, where his plans are going. We've all been that disciple, haven't we? But today, again, as Jesus constantly does, we are invited into divine friendship with God. We're reminded again that Jesus longs for us to take that initiative. Jesus longs to be seen. Jesus needs a time of understanding. Jesus wants for us to stay awake to the truth that we matter. Jesus needs us as his friends. So can we say yes today to the Holy Spirit's divine extension to dance around with Jesus? I think it's gonna be kind of fun, like a big adult Zumba class with all kinds of people making fools out of themselves, but really not caring, really enjoying one another's presence and company. Me to invite you back up as I close this in prayer. So God, we want to acknowledge the fact that Lord, as much as we need you as our friend, as much as we need you, God, you need us, you love us, and you invite us. 
And Lord, maybe some of us feel off balance. Maybe some of us feel like we just have lost complete sense of rhythm in our relationship with you. But today, I pray for the courage. I pray for the grounding. I pray for the gravitational access to grasp onto you and to join you in this holy dance. That Lord, we will be able to see you in all the complicated, beautiful layers that you are. That we will be able to initiate, Lord God, in making contact with you throughout all of our need, throughout all of our defenses, throughout all of our fears and our pain and our struggles. That God, we will be able to once again devote our lives to recognizing the fact that we are empowered agents of the Holy Kingdom. And may that encourage us, may that bless us, and may that infuse us with organic desire to bring back to you all of the praise, all of the glory, all of the honor. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We pray, Lord God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
As we continue in worship, we're going to sing this familiar tune with some unfamiliar words. And again, I invite you to embrace these words, to wrestle with these words as we continue to reflect on what it means for us to be a friend of Jesus. Thank you so much, Pastor January and Mide, for leading us in that time 
Uh, as the ushers come forward and uh, pass out the communion elements and you at home, Evergreen Online, you gather your communion elements, I just invite us to take a moment and let the Holy Spirit minister to our hearts and speak to us. As I was thinking about this, uh, this Sunday and, and talking with Pastor January about uh, what she was gonna be focusing on, I think it, I kept thinking this week, like what Pastor January just preached on, like that's the gospel. I mean, that's the message that captivated me. That Jesus wanted to be my friend and he wanted me to be his. That is so amazing. And as we consider the elements that we have before us, the bread and the cup, which represent the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, these are the symbols, the signs, the visible message that Jesus wants you to be his friend that he loves you, that he desires you, that he pursues you, and he sacrifices for you. And so in light of what we just heard from Pastor January, I wanna read this passage uh, two times. I'm gonna read it once, just as we know it, and then I'm gonna read it again. From 1 Corinthians, it says, "'For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you.'" The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And now, if I can be so bold as your pastor, I want to reinterpret this for today with just one word change. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying this, this cup is the new friendship in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Beloved, we have before us the powerful, powerful symbols of God's offer of friendship, the invitation to us. May you experience his friendship as you partake of these elements. Now I invite you to open or prepare your elements and we'll take the body and blood together.
If you haven't done so and you're ready, I invite you to take the cup. Jesus, we are overwhelmed and grateful for the friendship you invite us into. That you would want us to be your friend. That you need us, that you desire us, that you pursue us, and that you love us. We are captivated by your display of love and friendship to us. And Lord, as an act of loving response, we throw ourselves into this relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. And God, as we transition to a time of tithes and offering, God, we offer part of what we have, what you have given us back to you that you may bless it and utilize it for the furthering of your family, for the furthering of your kingdom and of your new humanity in this world. Please take these gifts that we offer to you as a sign of our love and friendship, as a sign of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Like a hurricane, I 
for me. 
sure all of our pastors go through that we preach um, oftentimes as we're prepping there's like a lot of well fear to be honest but there's a lot of negotiation of like what is a room gonna feel like where is my spirit at also what am I convicted um, about this particular week and I don't know I didn't know what to expect coming in today but right now I feel really soft towards Jesus I feel really soft towards Jesus. And even as we were just worshiping, I felt the Lord's heart turn soft for us. A few days ago, a friend of mine who's in this room, whose name rhymes with Candy, was like, you're a good friend. And man, that filled me, actually. I just responded, duh. But that filled me with a lot of encouragement affirmation. And in the softness, in the pliability of our hearts and our worship posture today, can we go off into our weeks asking for Jesus to look upon us, to lean into us, to tell us, man, you are a good friend to me. As we leave this morning, I welcome you to follow the ushers on your way out and now receive this prayer of blessing, Lord. May you go before us, may you be all around us, and may you hold us as we pursue doggedly after you in the name of holy friendship. Dance with us, dance with us Lord, this week. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, our good and perfect friend. You are released. Online community, you are released. Blessings. Blessings.